Welcome to Nutrition Bites, the no-nonsense podcast where you get the truth about food so you can eat what you want and be healthy. I'm your host, Maggie, and welcome to episode 11 of this series. Today's topic was inspired by my favorite pseudoscience messiah, Gwyneth Paltrow. It's all fluff, no stuff, and it's time to set the record straight. On the menu today, superfoods. days ago, wellness company Chroma raised $5 million from investors like Gwyneth Paltrow and other Hollywood elite to grow their online superfood business. Chroma's mission is to teach customers about food's medicinal power in an accessible and convenient way. Totally something I can get behind. But their idea of superfoods include porridge at a price tag of $30 and something called guilt-free cookie butter, whatever that means. Once again, the idea of superior nutrition is being used to sell BS foods at high prices to health-crazed individuals. The term superfood has no actual scientific definition, but there seems to be an unspoken understanding that if a food is deemed super, it's something we should be eating for ultimate health. Do you remember when kale became the hottest vegetable? In 2012, Time magazine named it the top food trend of the year, And even to this day, it's a mainstay on restaurant menus and in our fridges. But to me, it kind of felt like kale came out of nowhere. And that's kind of because it did. Its rise in popularity was actually thanks to the work of a very trendy PR firm hired by the American Kale Association. I'm not going to get into details, but just know, Big Kale is always listening. The funny thing about the superstardom of kale was that prior to its meteoric rise, it was often used in restaurants and grocery stores as decor. Only a few years before it was deemed a superfood, I was working at a deli, and one of my weekly tasks was to unbox cartons of kale and place the leaves between bowls of pasta salads to freshen up the display case. No one at the time talked about its high vitamin C content or abundance of fiber. I simply knew it as a decor item at my minimum wage job. Perhaps if I had known it was destined for superstardom, I would have started a side business at age 17. I mean, nothing seems more trustworthy than wilted greens being sold by a teenager out of her mom's van, right? The thing about kale being a superfood is that it's not completely out of line. Kale is an incredibly nutritious vegetable, but is it really that much healthier than other leafy greens? How come kale got super status while collard greens were left in the shadows? It's time to understand why some foods are deemed super and the rest are living a life of mediocrity. Superfood is a marketing term. Plain and simple, there is no scientific or government-regulated definition for what it is. But there is a dictionary definition which states the following. A superfood is a food that is rich in compounds considered beneficial to a person's health. Pretty vague, right? I feel like that statement could be used to describe a lot of foods, including colored greens. So with such a vague description, how does a food become super? Well, it seems that a superfood is given its claim when it offers high levels of specific buzzworthy nutrients and is linked to the prevention of a disease. Also, a lot of superfoods tend to be native to indigenous peoples outside of Western countries, which adds even more allure to their branding. They're often marketed as new, exotic items only just discovered by scientists, even though the indigenous peoples have been consuming them forever. An interesting aspect of the superfood phenomenon is that they are generally really healthy things to eat. 
Salmon, quinoa, goji berries, walnuts, and pomegranates are all good for you. The problem with the superfood status is that it unfairly categorizes some foods as better than others. Even boring, run-of-the-mill fruits and vegetables like apples and carrots have a ton to offer nutritionally, but they've yet to be branded as superfoods. The differentiator really does seem to be the presence of those sought-after nutrients like omega-3s, antioxidants, and fiber. These are all molecules that are popularized as things we lack in our current diets and also key to preventing scary diseases like Alzheimer's and cancer. But there are so many other important micronutrients that get passed over as super because they don't have the same general fame as antioxidants. Take lutein, for example, a plant molecule thought to be helpful in preventing cataracts and macular degeneration. Eye health. This micronutrient is found in yellow and orange fruits and vegetables, as well as leafy greens like romaine lettuce. But lutein is not well known. Its name is kind of weird, and so despite its potentially positive effects on our health, Foods high in this nutrient aren't labeled as anything special. So how did we get to this place where natural foods are in a popularity contest with each other? Unexpectedly, it didn't start in the Hollywood Hills. The origin of the superfood term in fact began in the small town of Lethbridge in Alberta, Canada. Back in 1949, a newspaper in this rural Canadian farming town used the term superfood to describe a muffin that essentially just had a lot of vitamins and minerals. I guess the muffins of the 40s were actually healthy because I'd describe the versions we eat today as wannabe cupcakes at best. In the decades following, this superfood term didn't gain much traction. But once the 90s hit, like with almost every other nutrition trend I've highlighted, its use began to increase. During the 90s and early aughts, research on regular old vitamins and minerals was considered so drab. The discoveries picked up by the news weren't on vitamin C, It was on cool and new nutrients, like antioxidants. Even the name antioxidant sounds badass and newsworthy. A lot of this early research on these micronutrients used molecules extracted from berries, and scientists studies how they reacted in cell cultures. Think of this style of research as the classic image of a scientist in a white lab coat staring intently into a petri dish. Cell studies are step one in nutrition research. They are used to form theories and hypotheses so that more investigations can be funded. They are not used to confirm results in human health. Our bodies are just way more complex than a clump of cells in a plastic dish. But it was the 90s, and during this time, the internet was also gaining entry into households and changing how news was disseminated and digested. So a scientific article about the potential anti-cancer properties of antioxidants extracted from a blueberry in a cell culture suddenly got spun as a story with a clickbait title like, Introducing the New Superfood, How Blueberries Cure Cancer. The late 90s and early 2000s also marked a period where we began to see a big increase in the rise of diet-related diseases like obesity and type 2 diabetes. In response to this concern, regular people started frantically searching for healthy diets and foods that could be used to combat the scary consequences of eating poorly. And anything deemed a superfood was a prime target for these health-crazed individuals. This food label was powerful, and it showed. Over a 10-year period in Britain, the consumption of blueberries and cranberries, both branded as superfoods, quadrupled, even though the average national fruit consumption was falling. Consumer surveys also showed that people, particularly middle- and high-income earners in Western countries, were willing to pay more for foods considered to be beneficial for health. Now this is what I call the perfect storm for food marketing. A vague definition, a high demand, and the willingness to pay. 
As more people became aware of superfoods, this term began to appear on all sorts of packages, from cereals with quinoa to frozen smoothie cubes with spirulina. But over time, it also began to be misused. Take, for example, a superfood branded bag of chocolate-covered almonds. Sure, almonds are really good for you, but this version is more like a super treat, not a heart-healthy snack. That's why in 2007, the European Union took a strong stance against the use of this term, prohibiting the label superfood on any packages unless a specific, authorized health claim supported by credible research was also provided. Safe to say, there are few, if any, superfood labels found in the EU. In Canada, such a strict regulation does not exist, but Health Canada does warn companies that they cannot make unfounded claims that their products prevent or cure serious diseases. This means that you can still buy superfood quinoa cereal as a product, but nothing on the package indicates how it actually helps your health. And in the U.S., it's the wild, wild west, baby. No rules, only freedom. Aside from the false belief that a bowl of pomegranate seeds will prevent a heart attack, there's not a lot of personal damage from buying into this trend. But there can be a pretty terrible environmental impact when a food is suddenly branded as super. Because so many of these foods are native to indigenous communities, when they suddenly experience a global surge in demand, production is intensified beyond belief. Often, large corporations enter farming communities and dominate the scene, favoring short-term financial gain over sustainable practices that maintain the local ecosystem. Let's use quinoa as an example. Once this seed was labeled as a superfood, an influx of cash and corporate interest entered Bolivia and Peru, where quinoa is originally grown. While the local economy improved overnight, an intense pressure was also put on farmers to produce more and faster in order to keep up with this new demand. This led to farmers only growing a handful of strains out of 3,000 varieties, severely reducing the genetic variety of this group. This decreasing diversity of the types of quinoa they were growing, along with more intensive farming practices like using heavy machinery, resulted in soil erosion and generally poor soil health. Farmers also had to expand their land use to grow more, and so they took over pastures dedicated for llamas and alpacas and began using synthetic fertilizers to maintain the soil once enriched by llama poop. Yeah, you heard that. The llamas lost their home, and it was all because of the quinoa. This trend of quick and extreme environmental change can be seen with other superfoods too. To increase the yield of acai berries in Brazil, farmers began to thin forests, which led to a decrease in tree populations and local bird diversity. Even in California, superfoods are impacting the environmental health of the state. Almonds are an incredibly water-intensive crop, requiring about 4 liters of water for every one almond grown. California, which is the global producer of almonds, is undergoing incredibly long and increasingly severe droughts every year, and the extra demand for water to grow the superfood is only accelerating this damage. Perhaps when we think about superfoods, we should focus less on their meaningless title and more on the knock-on effects this branding has on local environments. While superfoods in and of themselves are often nutritious, the term is purely used to drive more sales. And besides, we don't need to focus on one magical fruit, fish, or grain to prevent a disease. A balanced diet high in whole foods and plenty of fruits and vegetables has already been proven to do that. There's no such thing as a nutrition magic bullet. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we are. So instead of focusing on kale during your next grocery trip, why not give collard greens a chance? Or Swiss chard or mustard greens? 
Sure, they may be like the robotics club equivalent in a vegetable high school drama, but they too deserve a chance to be chosen. It's time we democratize the term superfoods and realize the nutrition that lies in all whole foods and fruits and vegetables right in front of us. That's been the bite for today. Stay hungry. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Bites. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast and share with a friend. If you want to get in touch with me, please follow me on Instagram at Nutrition Bites Podcast. Have a great week.